All right, right on. Hey, uh, before the children go back, children stay here for a second. We're going to do the Advent candle with you all here. So we're going to do the reading really quickly. Uh, Bonnie and Brandon, if you all don't mind coming up here. And I'm going to grab, hey, Matt, can you grab that for me, the uh, table, so I can put this wreath on there? And this is the candle of peace, as Mike said this morning. Was that Mike that said that? Yes. So Bonnie's going to light the candle from last week and then another purple candle as uh, Brandon reads for us. And I have to <clears throat> say, sorry, Brandon, there's a few names that are a little more difficult. He's probably got the most difficult reading week. So, We're, all right, you got this. Let's go. I was practicing this morning, and there was disagreement on how to pronounce them That's anyway. That's true. So, just like anything else in church, right? It's true. A powerful message from God came to John, Zechariah's son, when he was living out in the lonely wilderness. This prophetic commission came to John during the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, son of Caesar. Pontius Pilate was governor over Judea at that time. Antipas, son of Herod, was governor over Galilee. Herod's brother, Philip, was over the region of Eturia and Traconidus and Licinius was over Abilene, not Texas. This happened during the days of two high priests, Annas and Caiaphas. John went preaching and baptizing throughout the Jordan Valley. He persuaded people to turn away from their sins and turn to God for the freedom of forgiveness, fulfilling what was written in the book of the prophet Isaiah. Listen, you will hear a thunderous voice in the lonely wilderness telling you to wake up. And get your heart ready for the coming of the Lord Yahweh. Mm. Make straight every twisted thing in your lives. Bring into the light every dark way. Make right every wrong. Remove injustice. Every heart of pride will humbly bow before him. Every deception will be exposed and replaced by the truth to prepare everyone everywhere to see the life of God. Amen. That's good. What translation was that? That was solid. I enjoyed that. Passion. Passion. Yeah, that was good. Mm. Thank you, Bonnie. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word. Um, and we, we're so excited about the reality um, that you brought your kingdom near to us, Father. Um, what that meant, Lord, I just ask that you would open up our hearts, that we would be so just in tune with your spirit this morning, that we would have, as Mike said, just ears that just hear, hear exactly what you want us to hear, Lord, and then feet that just walk it out. Um, we welcome you. You're here, Holy Spirit, but we say we welcome you because we love you so much uh, to do whatever you desire to do this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all. All right, the children can go back now. Uh, as they're going back, Larissa just handed this to me from Mitchell Nielsen. Thanks so much. Uh, they, I'm going to pass this around. They, have, they, they, wrote a, they gave us a card, <clears throat> and uh, a bunch of their teachers signed this. Thank you. Thank you so much. The hands and feet of God, thank you. I mean, just a lot of really, really nice things to say about how much it meant to them. Um, just a simple act of helping them with don't giving them some donuts and some coffee and the lord 
touched their hearts. So that's good. That's really good. Uh, I might as well say at this point, uh, tomorrow night at what time, Matt? Seven? Seven o'clock at Taylor Place is going to be a meeting for those who want to participate in um, a brain, he wants to call it a brainstorm. That's dangerous. Stones River folks brainstorming. I don't know. I don't know about that, Matt. We're going to brainstorm. We're going to look. Uh, I'm going to write down the list of some of the things that they, at, that they mentioned that, that we read what, several weeks ago when John and I got up here they could use help with. And they're going to brainstorm how we can help, which ones might be the focus, if there's anything else we could do or whatever. So that we can just, as Matt says, put what to what? What do you always say, Matt? Put it on your calendar. Rubber meets the road. He's always, Matt's, in, we, we are blessed to have Matt. You guys, you all know that, right? Okay. Because <laughs> Matt is very organized, and some of us aren't as organized. So it's really awesome that we have Matt. Everyone's super organized here, right? Speaking of that, uh, Linda Fulgham led a, a few people to help. Now, the Winneborgs were one of them, and Seth was one of them, and set all this up. So that was... Uh, more work than I thought it would be, but not too bad. That's a huge tree. Linda has done it every Linda, you know that Linda makes those wreaths. Do you all know that? Okay, most of y'all knew that. Some of you might not. She makes those things, okay? She doesn't just order them online. She, she's, she's very talented. It's amazing. So, yeah. And she also likes them in a particular way. When Seth didn't have the ribbons right, she made him go back up there and put the ribbons right. And that's, but hey, you put all that work into it. He doesn't need to hang it wrong, does he? I don't think so. Oh, my goodness. All right, if y'all want to, actually, we're not going to start at that place. Just, just chill for a minute, I guess. I used to say if y'all want to turn to something we do, but I'm going to start this morning by just reading the question for this week. I sent Larissa the um, Advent stuff to send out this morning, so she'll send that out maybe now or so you'll have it this week, but just the readings that we're going to be focusing on this week, um, they've really been powerful in my life and the questions that are asked have really made me think a lot. And the question for this week um, is, can you think of anything you need to repent of and change in your life of Christian discipleship? I might change that to disciple making, huh, John? What might help you make that change and make it stick. So this week's theme, I'm not used to doing themes, but this week's theme would be um, a time of renewal. Like thinking through, and for those, if any, I think we've all been here, but we've, we, we're doing Advent. And we're looking towards Jesus's second coming and back at his first coming. And this week we're looking at like the huge idea, and, and uh, just saying huge is just probably not not big enough to recognize the huge idea of what God is renewing in this world and what he's doing through Christ, what he did through Christ that now he is doing through us is just absolutely huge. Let's just dive in and let's look. Let's look like, oh man, I hope that I do justice to how big this moment is when John the Baptist is out in the wilderness and, and um, <clears throat> calling them to repent and calling them telling them the kingdom of heaven is coming near and all. It's just, it's a huge moment. So go ahead and pull up my first slide, if, if you don't mind. <clears throat> okay, boom. Um, if there's a blank one there that needs to take that one out, I, might, I could have accidentally done that. Just skip past that, nec that next time. Okay, right on. 
So this passage about John the Baptist, again, this is, this is humongous, all right? It's so big that before we actually look at the scripture that Brandon read, we're going to have to go back. We're going to go back and we're going to look at some of the stuff in the Old Testament, and we're going to look at some of the trials, some of the things that the Israelites were going through to where when he finally says this, it's huge. This is a huge moment. And then ask ourselves, what does that mean for us like today? Not just like look at what John did and what did that mean, but what does that look like for us? So the first thing I want to do, go to the next slide. Um, thank you. Who's running at this today? Is it my son up there? Jonah, you better be on this. <laughs> he loves doing that. Thank you, Kyle. Thank you for having a church where we can let young people like get better, like learn how to do these things instead of saying we have to have the professionals do it. And they do a good job too. So I, seriously, that really means a lot, a lot. He looks forward to coming on Sunday and that's one of the reasons, right? So I think that's really cool. Anyways, um, I want to go back just a hair in this story and then we're going to look at the Old Testament. So it's interesting that Luke opens up his gospel telling the story of John the Baptist. Like that's, that's how, that's, this is how this thing opens up. He opens up with the story of Zachariah, who's a priest, and many of us know this, but Zechariah is a priest. He, they, they cast lots. He goes in to offer incense offering before the Lord and is something that he probably never expected in 100 years happens. As he goes to offer this incense, an angel shows up to the right hand of the altar, and it scares him. I wonder what it would be like for us if something like if we were going about doing our daily duties, jobs, shouldn't, anyways, you go into your cubicle at work and, and there's an angel sitting in your desk. <laughs> it might startle me too. I don't know. Am I the only one that would be startled by that? Uh, he was terrified, it says. I mean, like, whoa, what is going on? But the good news is that the angel has good news. It'd be even worse if the angel had bad news for you. Like, hey, Mike, I got some bad news, bro. <laughs> no, no, he had good news. And that was that his wife, who they could not have kids and they were well advanced in years, was going to have a son, and this son was going to prepare the way for Messiah to come. I don't even know how a mother or father can receive that news. Like, I don't even know where, if you have a paradigm in your brain, for even Mary, like, receiving the news of, of, of Jesus. Like, where, how do you even put that somewhere? That what Israel is longing for is about to start to take place, and your son is going to play a vital role in that? And what I think is interesting, too, is that this says that um, Elizabeth, sorry, <laughs> goodness gracious, Elizabeth and Zechariah, the story is, um, it says that they were righteous. So the reason she wasn't, she was barren wasn't because she was a sinful person. <laughs> it wasn't because that she was, they walked righteously before God, and it was in her healing and her restoration that what was going to happen was that it was going to point, people were going to go, this is something. What is going on with this child? I mean, Zechariah and Elizabeth have tried to have kids for years. All of a sudden, an angel shows up. Zechariah then, not totally believing the angel, gets muted, and so he can't speak. He can't speak, and now her womb is open. Like, think of the talk that had to be going throughout the town. Like, did you hear about Elizabeth? Can you believe that she's pregnant? I don't know. I mean, it would be like someone today, like, man, I'm not going to say any women in this church. I almost got, almost got, I used to like to use examples of people here, but that's a bad one. Did you, Brittany, she's 60 years old and she got pregnant. Can you believe that? They haven't had kids their whole life. 
hey, there is no way that the gossip is not going to get out about that. Is that right? They had to be going, what's going on about that? And he can't talk. That's right. I mean, he can't explain. Like, he's trying to probably the best version of, what is that game that you mime things? Charades. Thank you. He's doing his best charades. And they're like, what? Are you hungry? (laughs) Yeah, trying to figure it out. Oh, that is that is crazy, isn't it? That that is that is a really interesting. It would I would love to have been there. That would have been wild. That would have been wild. But this message that the that I'm going to read just a little bit of the message that the angel has for Zechariah. Um, I'm reading in Luke chapter one really quick. All right, I'm going to start in verse 14. Luke chapter one, verse 14. He tells him right before this to not be afraid. All right, your prayer has been heard. Elizabeth will bear a son. I guess I'm going to 13. So all these years of praying and crying out to God, don't think that God didn't hear you. He heard you. There is a reason in this, for this beautiful moment that's taking place right here. And verse 14 says, You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He must never drink wine or strong drink, kind of like a Nazarite vow probably here. Um, even before his birth, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's huge because we all hear, oh, the Holy Spirit fills us, and which is the most amazing, about the most amazing truth there is, that God has come to temple and to dwell in, in among us, his temple. But back then it wasn't that what Jesus hadn't died. He hasn't resurrected. God hadn't sent his spirit. So to hear, he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit from before his birth, that's real. He will turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, With the spirit and power of Elijah, he will go before him to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah, your son is going to prepare people for the king that Israel has long waited. The anointed one who was to come, who the prophets have prophesied for hundreds of years, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, began the prophecies of this. Yeah. A long, long time ago, this anointed one is coming, and his job is going to be prepare the way. <sighs> That's wild, isn't it? What would you do if you were Zachariah and you heard that? That he is going to be one that is going to turn the hearts of people, like he will be used to turn Israel's hearts back to God. And think about this, in the spirit of Elijah, who is Elijah? One of the most powerful prophets of the Old Testament. Can you imagine this This angel saying, your son is coming in the spirit of Elijah. The Elijah to come, the one who did incredible miraculous things, who God used to speak to Israel over and over and over again, who didn't even die. That Elijah to come, he's coming, and he's going to be your son, Zechariah. Huge, right? Of course, he goes mute. He ends up, they have the child, and he goes unmute whenever he writes on a writing tablet. His name is John, because that's what he was told to do. If you want to go to Malachi, I want to look at Malachi really quickly. <clears throat> because what I want us to do, again, is I want us to have a, a good f- idea of the, the, how momentous this moment is when he shows up in the wilderness. 
The prophets have prophesied. Isaiah's prophesied. He's going to quote Isaiah in this passage that we're going to read. But I want to look at Malachi really quickly because this idea of what we just read, this, this voice that's, um, that this person that's going to turn the children's hearts to the parents and the parents to the children. And he's coming, uh, the Elijah to come is going to be here. That is in, that's in the book of Malachi. And so I want to look at this. And so quickly, the book of Malachi is a dialogue between Israel and God. Basically, God's saying something, and the Israelites going, huh, what are you talking about? Even blaming God. I'm just going to hit a couple points. Like, it opens up at the very beginning of this. In verse 2 says, I have loved you, says the Lord. Isn't that awesome? And they, what is their response? But you say, how have you loved us? Why are they saying this? Because this is after they come out of captivity. They've been a captivity for, a, they were captive to the Assyrians. They were captive to the Babylonians. Like, God, what are you talking about you love us? Like, really? Israel is, is a, is pales in comparison to what it used to be. David's not on his throne ruling. We don't have these great kings. We're under Persian rule right now. We've been sent to captivity. You don't love us. What do you mean, God, you love us? And he makes it clear that he does love them. He even says in verse 6, kind of this back and forth, a son honors his father and servants their master. If then I am a father... Where is the honor due to me? This is God saying, if I'm your father, you're not honoring me as your father. And if I am master, where is the respect due me? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. These are priests of God in Malachi. This is being spoken to them that, hey, God is saying, priests, you're despising my name. And then what's their response? Or what is their response? Excuse me. You say, how have we despised your name? And so this, this book, this prophetic word, is back and forth, and there's so many times where God talks about, will you, will you rob me? What do you mean, how have we robbed you? You've robbed me with tithes and offerings, right? Even here right now, whenever he's talking to the priest, they're saying, what do you mean we despise your name? He's like, you're offering sacrifices that are, are not the best. You're offering sacrifices that are lame. You're offering sacrifices that are blind. Like, this is a, a huge deal, and it brought me to thinking as a question of, of repentance that N.T. Wright asked, are there blind spots in my life where I'm just like, God, I'm doing great. And he's like, no, not really. <laughs> it's, it's, this is not to depress us and get us down. It's just to have self-reflection. You know, one of the words, Hebrew words for prayer, one of the main words is to judge oneself, right? Part of prayer is listening to God, as Mike said. Part of prayer is speaking to God. And part of prayer is judging oneself. And, to, and that's good. That's okay. It's how we grow. It's how we get our heart tuned with God. That's all God, God's trying to get Israel's heart in tune with him so that they can be that light to the nations like he wants them to be. Like they should be so that there can be healing among the nations and all these things. That's a beautiful thing. And they need to have some of that, that self-reflection. But in the midst of all this back and forth and, uh, is between Israel and God, there's this huge bright spot in chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 1 says, See, I am sending my messenger to prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, indeed he is coming, says the Lord of hosts, but who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? Like, this is happening, my messenger is coming, but I want you to know, it's not going to be great for everyone, right? That's, that's what he's saying. In fact, he says, For he is like a refiner's fire, and like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver, and he will purify the descendants of Levi and refine them like gold and silver until 
Um, they present offerings to the Lord in righteousness. So God's saying that there's, there's a messenger coming that's going to bring fire, and fire purifies, right? Fire, Jesus uses those type of language all the time. Things that are wood, stubble, hey, that was Paul, but Jesus talked, like, like, things that burn up are going to get burned up because when God's kingdom comes, it's going to be, there's going to be justice. There's going to be purification that takes place. The things that are right, the things that are pure, they're going to shine. And he's saying, listen, this is going to happen. And then chapter four, I'm just going to read. It's a really short chapter. See, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and the evil doers will be stubble. So that same idea, right? Like there's a refining fire coming to Israel. The day that comes shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave neither root nor branch. But there's, there's, there's good in, the, in this, some good stuff here. That's actually good, actually, that that stuff is going to be burned up. You've got to burn out the injustice and stuff for the righteousness of God's kingdom to come in. But for you who revere my name, I love this verse, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall and you shall tread down the wicked for they will be ashes on the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Isn't that awesome? For those who fear God's name, you're gonna go leaping like calves from the stall. I went kind of, someone, someone want to pretend to be a calf from a stall? That would have been awesome if I had someone dressed like a calf and they came shooting out of there. That's missed opportunity. Verse 4 says, Remember the teaching of my servant Moses, the statutes and ordinance that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Lo, so this is what was quoted in um, one seventeen or 6, I don't know, in Luke chapter 1. Lo, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents so that I will not come and strike the land with a curse. So the idea that the Lord is coming, there's going to be a messenger. Elijah is going to come and he's going to prepare the way. And what does it say that he says that he'll do? He's going to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and children back to their parents. There's a lot of like speculation. What does that mean? Like I'm not exact, you know, I'm not sure what does that mean or whatever. Um, some people say that it has to do, he calls himself a father in this passage. Like, some of it has to do with the fact that God is father and that he's going to return Israel back. And I think there's truth to that. And I also think there's truth to the simplicity of parents and children. Like, relationships matter. Like, relationship, our relationship with God, our relationship with one another really matters to God. And the idea that the Lord of hosts is coming and that he says that he's going to turn hearts He's going to turn these back. That is a pretty weighty, I think. And I think that's something for us to wrestle with and to think about. Man, there's so many things he could have said about, okay, the Lord's coming. What is Elijah going to do? And he says that he's going to turn parents' hearts to children and children's hearts back um, to the parents. So before we dive into the passage, I want to give you all a little brief couple drops of what happens between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of uh, the, the New Testament. Many of us have studied, people call it the intertestamental period. That's a big word for me, like between the testaments, right? Old Testament, New Testament. Some, some people go, ah, what's going on? What happened? You know, you have Israel coming out of captivity. You have some of these prophetic words going on. All of a sudden, there's nothing for 400 and something years or so. And then all of a sudden, there's a dude showing up in the wilderness saying, prepare the way, here we go. Interesting, right? What happened, you know? 
Go to the next slide. I didn't use that one called Malachi. Go to the next one. So this is going to be really quick. Uh, and the book of Daniel that we studied not too long ago kind of helps with a little bit of this because he prophesied these things when we talked about it. So they're under Persian rule. All right, so they, they come out of captivity. Israel's under Persian rule. Go to the next one. Then what happens next? The Greeks, Alexander the Great comes in. And so Israel's still not free. They're like, what's going on, God? We came out of captivity, Lord. What are, you, what are you doing? Like, why are all these other nations, why are these empires still in charge? Where is our independence, God? What's going on? And you have, you know, again, and, and over this time, you have some of the rulers are pretty nice to the Israel and to the Jewish people. Some aren't so nice. So you're living in this like up and down, like, where is King David again? You know, where, is, where, where are these promised king? Where, where is this, where's an anointed one coming? You talk about Elijah coming, God. It's been several hundred years. And look, the Greeks are still, you know, in charge or whatever. And what, what, what are you gonna, what's going to happen? And then, go to the next slide, you have towards the end of the Greek empire, the Seleucid guy, King Epiphanes. Remember that? Remember that from Daniel? Antiochus Epiphanes, or the mad on top of all these things and these other empires ruling us, you have this guy who says, all right, we're, we're taking out what the Jewish people, what the Israelites are doing. Tells them they can't practice the law, goes into their temple and slaughters a pig, which is like a, the biggest slap in the face that you could do to a group of people, right? It would be like someone doing something nasty to the cross that we, you know what I mean? They're like, just, I don't care. Just forget, sorry. <clears throat> forget you guys. Like, I don't, I, I'm showing you, like, I just don't care. Sets up a statue to Zeus, tells him you're not, you know, doing any of this. And again, it would be, I hate to say, like, to do comparisons, but imagine a ruler coming into the States or a president or something that says you're not practicing Christianity anymore, that you're not getting together anymore. You're, uh, if you do, you're going to get in trouble. Burn all the Bibles, get them out of here. We're not, you, you can't be seen with the Bible anymore. Every cross that I see, leave the crosses, but desecrate it. Make it look terrible. Make them remind themselves of the foolishness of, of what, they, what they believe. That was, this was a type of evil that Epiphany was, was doing. And the Jewish people, there was a remnant. What, is just, what was just celebrated this last week? Hanukkah, right? This is what they celebrate. The next slide is that a remnant of people from the tribe of Levi called the Maccabees. You guys heard of the Maccabees before, right? They, kinda, they rebel. Like they say, you know what? We're not, this is ridiculous, this is where the buck stops. And pretty much miraculously, they actually win fight after fight, and they don't win them all. But in the end, they, they, they actually get freedom for Israel, right? We're almost done here. Next slide. And uh, the Hasmonean Empire kind of spreads. About 100 years of independence for Israel. But here's the thing about this time. During this time, there was a ton of internal conflict, because listen, the, the Maccabees came from the line of Levi, not the line of David. And so there were people going, what are you doing? You have no right for the kingship. There are people that are killing family members. Go back and read. It's, it's crazy to, to keep power. It's, it's not like Israel was this great light to the nations like they were supposed to be. Like they finally get their independence and they're not. And the next slide. Finally, about 100 years after they get the independence, 60, oh man, I'm losing it. Um, they give way to the Romans. They actually, at the beginning, like, invite the Romans. But the Romans take charge, and Herod the Great, Herod the Great, is in charge now, huh? How about that? You got, we all read through the New Testament, and you hear Herod, Herod, Herod. There's a bunch of Herods, and that's why it's confusing. But it starts with Herod the Great, okay? You're like, I, I thought that guy died, but he's, goodness gracious, he's alive again. What's going on? Next slide. So this is going to help us get to the time of Jesus. 
Herod was brilliant with architectural and building stuff, okay? This is the temple. I mean, this is not the actual temple, but this is a rendition of he made huge improvements to the temple, okay? He did, this is just different things that he did. He did this kind of stuff all over. But towards the end of his life, he got crazy. Uh, he got extremely paranoid. I've read some people argue that he had this, a certain disease and stuff that made him go really paranoid and different things like that. I don't know the root cause of it, but it got so bad to where he killed three of his sons, I believe. He killed his favorite wife, um, not only did he do that, he was the Herod that called for the slaughtering of the baby, the children in um, Bethlehem and the surrounding areas. So you wonder, how could someone, call? this is what happened at the end of his life. Like he got, he didn't want to lose his power. So now thinking of that, this is who's in charge whenever this baby is to be born. God, what are you doing? I thought we had independence and now we don't. And now the Romans are, are leading us and the Romans are ruthless. You know, they can be ruthless people, but they gave them some freedom. So that's good, God. But you got this guy, Herod, and Herod likes the Jewish people and yet he's not a Jew. And there's this huge kind of squabble about, oh, but I don't like Herod that much. And now Herod's kind of going crazy and insane. He's slaughtering people, killing his family. Could you imagine having a ruler that was doing that? Like legit, that was like, I killed one of my kids because I thought they were trying to get the throne. Like, in the midst of that, Israel's going, like, they have to be going, God, you promised an Elijah. You promised that something was going to happen. You promised that there was a Lord, that, that there's someone that's going to come and set things right. And goodness gracious, how many years ago was that, God? Where are you? Right? In the midst of all that, now we can get to Luke chapter 3. <laughs> I hope that that built up, like, an understanding of like how important this moment is. <clears throat> uh, chapter 3, verse 1, in the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor over Judea, and Herod was the ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip, ruler of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, of the, re oh, sorry, and Lysanias, ruler of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of the Lord came to John, son of Zechariah in the wilderness. I think that statement is tremendous. There is no, in the canon of Scripture that we have, recorded words of the Lord for 400-something years. Does that mean God wasn't speaking? I don't know if that's what that means. Some people would argue that, that God just never said anything to anyone. I don't know about that. I'm not going to go down in that direction. But the people are hungry for a word from God. As I mentioned earlier, the Holy Spirit wasn't indwelling the people of God. There's whispers of this child that was born to this woman who should have never had kids. Zechariah goes mute to the priest. He saw a vision. He saw this angel. What is that? Who is this kid? Then all of a sudden, this kid has grown up, and he's out in the wilderness saying, I, hear, I heard a word from God. How exciting is that to be? Like, seriously? There's a prophet saying that they have heard a word from God. Romans are ruling us, all these things, and people begin to go out to this guy in the wilderness, if you go to the next slide, he was in uh, uh, the Jordanian wilderness. This isn't actually a picture from it. The wilderness wasn't really all that far. It's not from like Jerusalem or whatever. It's just a stone's throw away. Like there's, there's wilderness kind of all around if you go to Israel. And uh, so it might kind of be like, I'll use Beverly and Jerry. There's some guy out here, say in Auburn town, not that far, saying out kind of in no man's land, out in the desert saying that he's heard a word from God. As you can imagine, some people are going to be super excited about that, like, yeah! But then, as we'll see, there's other like religious leaders that are like, what? Who is this guy? 
I mean, could you, I mean, let's just be real. Could you imagine pastors, some of the pastors going, who is this crazy guy out in Auburn town? Dunking people, baptizing people, saying he's heard a word from God. There's jealousies that are taking place. There's, uh, is this this some kind of crazy guy? It's why Jesus asked the question. He says, who do y'all think John the Baptist, was he from God or not? And they are so thick-headed or whatever that they say, I don't know, because they don't want to admit that he could be from God. Could you imagine that? Well, the pastors come around and go, I don't know. I don't know. And John, there's the guy out in Auburn Town goes, am I from God or not? And they go, well, I don't know. I can't say that because I don't want my congregants to go to your church. <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I don't want you to have, the, the, the Pharisees and Sadducees wanted influence. They don't want to lose their influence they have over the people, right? And so that's, that's, that, that's, the, that's what's going on here. So there's a guy out in Auburn Town, he hears the voice of God. It, what was his message? It says in verse 3, he went into all the region around the Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. So this message, as I said, was a message of be immersed, repent, and that you know, Greek word comes from metamorphosis. That, I mean, that's, we use the word repent all the time. It's like, God, I'm sorry. That's not what repent means. It doesn't mean telling God you're sorry. It means actually changing, like changing your behavior. All right? And so he is, he is preaching this, and in Matthew, when it's talking about the story, it says that his message was the exact same message of Jesus. Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. So Israel, under oppression all these years, some crazy guy out in the wilderness, some guy that would be a, a prophet out in the wilderness, like Elijah was. Is this the Elijah to come, people are saying? He's out there calling people, saying God's kingdom's coming now. It's coming and he's telling them, you have a job to do. So it's not like you just sit back and go, all right, God, rescue us. He's saying, no, you have something. You need to change your hearts. Israel, go back to Malachi. The things that they, God, you know, I don't, I don't realize that I don't honor you, God, and all these things. He's like, no, listen, there are places in your lives, Israel, you have got to repent of. And that is incredible. Because that means that the idea that God's kingdom is coming to men, the first thing he says to do is to change your hearts and prepare your hearts. Meaning God cares about our hearts. He cares about our response to him. Like he is not going to force his kingdom on Beverly if she don't want his kingdom, but she does. And that's why I can say her name. But seriously, so he's saying if you want to be part of this kingdom, you need to change. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's coming. And on top of that, there's definitely um, the reality that John is out in the wilderness like Israel was in the wilderness. There's a reality that Israel is saved through water. They are rescued through water as the Egyptians have the Red Sea coming over them. And now he's out immersing people in water for, so that their sins can be washed away. And then it says in verse 4, um, as it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, and I say all that stuff to say God is bringing a great rescue. That's what he's, He has a rescue mission for Israel right now. So prepare your hearts. I'm actually going to go to I'm going to go to Isaiah really quick. Uh, Isaiah 40. I'm going to read this from Isaiah. Just, I'm going to read a couple of verses before, maybe a verse or two after. Um, I've said this plenty of times. Whenever someone quotes part of an Old Testament verse, go and read the whole thing because oftentimes they have uh, the whole passage in mind, and it can usually bring a lot more clarity to what they're saying. So uh, as it is written in the prophet Isaiah, I'm going to read verse, I'm going to start in verse 1 real quick. The context of this is God telling Hezekiah that the Babylonians are going to come and take over. All right? Hezekiah is happy because he's like, well, it's not happening in my time. That's pretty selfish, isn't it? But 
And he was pretty happy about that. And then the next chapter here goes into, Comfort, O comfort my people, says the Lord. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term, that the penalty is paid. So this is talking about the captivity. And that she has received from the Lord's hand double for her sins. Bring comfort that it's going to be okay. A voice cries out. Now this is what he quotes exactly. A voice cries out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill made low, and the uneven ground shall become level and the rough places in the plain. Go to the next slide and then go again. So I tr- it was really hard to get a good picture. This is Jerusalem, okay? And as John has talked about before, the psalm that says, as a mountain surrounds Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people, this doesn't, this, I couldn't get a good angle. This doesn't do justice for how big some of these hills are, the hills are that surround um, Jerusalem. But the point that I'm making is, is he's talking about these, the mountains being made low, the hills, uh, the valleys being raised up. It is so hilly all around there, all right? It's, uh, when you go there, it's like, oh my gosh, it's beautiful, actually. But it's also dangerous because of the hills, because there are people that can hide in the hills and they can come and they can jump you as you're going through the, you know, going from town to town or whatever you want to. And so what he's saying is he's saying in the wilderness, there's going to be one that is going to make straight his paths. The valleys are going to be lifted up. The mountains are going to be brought down. low. He's saying the kingdom is coming. The king is coming in righteousness. He's going to turn all the crooked things straight. He's going to take the high things low and the low things, and he's going to make them level. He's going to set things right is what this prophecy is saying. And for the people of Israel, that has to be an incredible, incredible announcement that, hey, we're being oppressed by the Romans. Hey, look at Herod the Great. Look at all these things. As I mentioned Narnia last uh, week, I just love that, so I'll just mention again. I know Pat doesn't mind me mentioning Narnia. But Aslan's gone and Aslan's returning and he's going to set things right. And so the people who love Aslan and his kingdom are rejoicing and you cannot wait as you anticipate it. But they say, hey, if you're in Aslan's kingdom, get your heart ready. That's important. But those who don't and who are part of the queen, they're not going to like it. That's why Malachi was talking about, hey, the day of the Lord, that's a big deal. Everyone's not going to love the day of the Lord. But this is saying the king is coming, so a kingdom is coming, and he's going to set everything right. In verse 5 it says, Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all the people shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. There's more good stuff. Even in verse 9 it says, Get you up on a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good tidings. Lift up your voices with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good tidings. Lift it up. Do not fear. Rejoice, right? The king is coming. Tell it to the mount. Tell it from the mountains. Tell it to everybody. This, this is this. The kingdom is coming. And that's what he quotes there. I'm going to read just a little bit more. I know that our reading goes through verse six, but I think this is huge for the rest of it. Or several more verses is huge for practical purposes. What do we do with this idea? This is a tremendous idea. God's kingdom is coming. What did it mean that God's kingdom came? And what, is, what does that mean for us today, right? I mean, it's, it's interesting to listen about, but does it even have application to our lives that God's kingdom came? And we talked about last week the, the tension between God's kingdom coming and dwelling among us in the finality of it whenever Jesus returns. But the idea that God's kingdom has come changes everything in our lives. It should affect everything in our lives. It should affect our relationships with our spouses, our relationships with our kids, the way we do our work, the way we handle our money. The idea that the rulership of God has come among man is big time. It's huge. And so in verse 7, it says, John says to the crowds that came to him to be baptized, 
you brood of vipers. <laughs> uh, in Matthew, it says it was the Pharisees and Sadducees that he, that he said this to. And again, if you think about religious leaders not knowing about who this John the Baptist is, who knows why they were getting baptized. Some were probably getting baptized just for the show of it, right? Obviously, they all didn't have good hearts. If they did, there'd be no reason for John to say, you brood of vipers, right? Could you imagine inviting John the Baptist to preach at your church, and he says, all right, Stones River, you brood of vipers, <laughs> We look at John like, I love John the Baptist. I don't know. Hopefully we would love him. <laughs> that's, that's some serious stuff. That's a major accusation. But he says, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? So as these crowds came to be baptized, and these Pharisees and even Sadducees, he's saying, listen, you vipers, who warned you? But here's one of the key parts of this, and I think key parts to understanding, like, What does it mean that God's kingdom has come near? What does it mean for us? He says, bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham, to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And so what he's saying is, is just the idea of washing and being immersed by, if, in and of itself doesn't do anything for you if it doesn't come with a repentant heart. If it doesn't come with a heart that's repentant towards God and allows God to bring fruit, God wants to bear fruit from us. God wants us to reveal what it means that he is seated at the right hand right now of the Father, what that kingdom means to this world. Like our lives are signs pointing towards Jesus and his kingdom. The releasing of the kingdom on earth and the reality that he's coming back again, right? And so he's saying you need to act like that. You've got, like, that, you can't just say, I just follow Jesus, or what? You can't just get washed and say this. No, he's like, your life should bear fruit if, this is, if there's truth that's taking place. You can't just say, well, I'm a Christian. Like, he says, you can't just say, Abraham's our ancestor. Bear fruit, worthy, show. It's not a works thing. It's a, if you're truly planted into God, then you will bear fruit. That's just, it's just the reality of things. So bear fruits worthy. So um, then he goes on to, to give them that warning that says there's an ax that's lying at the root of the trees. There's a refining fire coming, which he talks about in verse 15 or 16, that Jesus is going to come and baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. There's a refining fire, and if you are stubble, you're going to get burned up. It's just the reality. And he's telling this to the people of Israel. So repent, bear fruit, be the kingdom that I've dreamt that you would be. Show the world what it means to live under God's rulership, Israel. Yeah, I've cried. I've, cr- I've called you to do this for so many years. Just, just live it out. And then very practically, the crowds ask the question, like even that we could even ask, like, okay, well, what does that mean? I'm glad that you asked, bear fruits worthy. I'm glad that you said that. What do you mean, bear fruits worthy of repentance? And this is n- not at all an exhaustive list. But what does John say? What does John say? If we say that question, well, what do you mean? I need to bear, you know, fruit worthy. And, he, and the crowds asked him, you know, then what should we do? In reply, he said, whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none. Whoever has food must do likewise. See, there's a, a, a deep injustice. I mean, it's not right that there are people that have all these things is what John's saying. That when God's kingdom comes among you, he sets the wrong things right, and we are agents of the kingdom, right? Like, 
how do we say we want to be part of God's kingdom and then we don't want to do the things that are part of God's kingdom? You know what I mean? Like, this is what God's kingdom does. God's kingdom goes, man, I've, I've got, God, I've got, a, I've got a coat at home. I just want to take my coat off. I'm going to use this as an excuse. I've got a coat at home, bro. I want you to have this. Even looking for those opportunities. Looking for, there are people here in Murfreesboro that are hungry. There are people in our world that are hungry. There are people who are playing the system. I'm not going to get on all that. We have to be smart in the way we do things. But, like, there's a reality that there are, there are hurting people. And John, that's the first thing he says is bring that justice let the kingdom justice come into the world. And that stung me this week. Like, I thought about, like, what am I doing? I'm just being real. Like, what, what is my lifestyle doing? Do I have a house and cars and all these things, and there's people that I, and I'm, I, where am I at? Am I really focusing on helping and bringing the kingdom of God on earth? Um, it's a moment of, of repentance for me this week. Uh, verse 12 says, even the tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? So now the tax collectors want to know what to do. And he says, Collect no more than the amount prescribed to you. And we all know that tax collectors extorted money from people, right? He's do your job with integrity. Stop taking stuff from people. You shouldn't do that. Like, that's, like these are the realities of the kingdom of God. This is what it means that God's kingdom is coming here. Go read the um, Sermon on the Mount. These are the things that Jesus talks about forgiveness how do we forgive others like how do we live how do we love our enemies how do we treat our spouses how do we not commit adultery like god want with with our with our minds and our minds because god is saying these things because we can be this he's not saying i'm giving you something that you can't do he's saying no this is what my kingdom looks like this is the realities of god's kingdom so do your job right he came he um soldiers asked him so now some soldiers come to him i guess probably some Maybe some Roman soldiers were looking at wondering what's going on. Maybe, maybe not. He said to him, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusations. Be satisfied with your wages. And that's what they would do. Like, treat your brothers right. <laughs> don't, get, not for, don't lower your brother and sisters so that you can have something to your advantage. Right? That is not the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, we're loving and we're serving one another and we're caring for one another. We're not trying to take from our brothers and sisters. We're trying to give to help our brothers and sisters out. Be content with what you have. That's what he tells these soldiers. You know, be content. Don't hurt others as you're doing that. And then he goes on to say the very powerful thing, and I'm not going to keep going, but there's one that's coming more mighty. He's going to baptize you with the spirit and fire, which is so beautiful. His winnowing fork is in his hands. He's going to burn up the chaff, right? Like, he's coming to refine everything. I know that there's a lot in this passage that makes me sit and, and think and contemplate my own life. And there's also in the midst of that so much hope for what God wants from his people. And isn't, that, isn't it beautiful? Like, the people of God coming together and go, we're not going to allow this. We're going to allow the justice of God to come through us into our city, into our neighborhoods, into our families. We're going we're gonna to allow the love of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God to flow out of us, and we're going to be vessels of, his, uh, of that. We're going to be agents of the kingdom to come, and when people look at us, they're going to go, wow, what is Deborah doing, man? She just lives life so different than other people. You know what I mean? Like, oh, she's, she cares about our needs. She's thinking about us, all these beautiful things, and they're going to go, there's something to this idea that Jesus is king. There's something to this idea that Jesus is reigning as king. Much more than, than just a creed, though creeds are cool, 
But more than that, it's, it's living it out. More than a, a political party, more than any of that. These followers of Jesus say that Jesus is king. And they're living like this Jesus is king. Man, we get that opportunity. We get that opportunity, y'all. Let's just take those, let's take a few moments now. And uh, just listen. Lord, we've, we've mentioned several times, and Mike started us up this, off this morning by saying, are we listening to you? And I thank you that I, I know that, uh, I believe that we are. And as you are already speaking to us so many ways this morning, we just ask that you would continue spirit to speak and that you would give us uh, ears to hear and eyes to see. Lord, if there's anything else that you want us to hear uh, this morning. So let's take a couple minutes here, y'all, and just listen to the Lord. You know, there's a lot of wrestling, and this is it's really good. Does anyone have anything that they feel like they want the Lord's given them to share about this or about any of the message? We're just learning to hear together. Going once, going twice. I say going once, going twice, because oftentimes someone goes, like they know that the Lord wants them to share something, and they, you get nervous. I do, you know, you mean like, oh my gosh, you're like, oh, I better, you know. Um, I just, this whole idea is huge. Um, the idea that God, and if the Lord, if you have something to share at any point, you can just raise your hand or come on up here. But um, the idea that the Lord is renewing all things and that what who does he choose to do his work us like he uses man to be agents of his change that he's trying to that he's doing and so that you and i get to participate in the renewal and the setting things right is incredible honor (laughs) and uh i just encourage us to be agents of renewal this week to look for places things that are wrong places that are broken and, and, and that we can bring healing and reveal the kingdom to others. And even asking, our, continuing to ask ourselves, what does it mean that God's kingdom has come near? And then as N.T. Wright said, is there anything in our life that we need to repent of and change because of the idea that God's kingdom has come near to man? Love it.